Daniel chapter 12, and whether you're at home or with us here, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's Word. It's just one verse, so we'll be all right for standing. Now, if you're physically not, not well, you know, if there's something that prevents you from standing, don't worry about that. But if you're physically able, join me in standing. Let's look at Daniel chapter number 12. And let's begin reading in verse number 2. Daniel 12 and verse number 2. And it says there, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. I'm going to talk to you a little bit this morning about they that be wise, the start and building of a work among our people. Father, thank you so much for Heritage Baptist Church. Lord, folks have come this morning. They're, they're watching online. I pray that you would use me to be a blessing to your people, to your pastor. Father, I pray that you would use me to, to give people a vision for Muslim people, for those who are sometimes despised and unloved and forgotten, who are thought of in a way that's only portrayed in the news media and only, only have one one context in which they view them in an aggressive fashion. I pray you'd use me this morning to give people a burden for Muslims to see them as human, see them as people who have souls, people that you love, people that you died for, people that you care for, that your son shed his blood for them. Father, I pray that you would you'd take my words, that, you, that you'd call my heart, you slow my heart rate, my heartbeat. You'd help me to be the preacher that I need to be this morning, that I'd make you pleased, to make you proud, that I'd be a blessing to your people. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. And Pastor, we are streaming this. Is that right? We are streaming. Okay. So you, you folks, forgive me. I, I'm going to be careful about some of the things I say and the names that I use and the place that we serve. But we, we, are, located, uh, we are located in the Middle East. That's where we serve. What I am wearing today is a traditional getup. I'm so thankful that Brother Wyatt also dressed in traditional clothes. Otherwise, I would have looked like the biggest cultural appropriator ever. And that just would not have been a blessing, not great. So I'm so thankful that he also dressed in traditional clothing. I'm thankful for that. But the men do wear this. Uh, this is quite normal. And the pants, yes, they are very breezy. They're very large. You could fit two of me in either one of these legs. They are massive. And yes, this is normal. Now, generally, the, old men, the older men will wear tennis shoes. I, for, I did not do that today. I didn't think I could get away with that. But normally, they'll just wear tennis shoes. And about 15 or 20 years ago, and in some villages, the old men will stick a dagger right here, or this is where they'll carry their gun, um, other type of paraphernalia defense, things like that. This is where they'll put that. This is, this is quite normal. The old men in villages still, still dress this way. The young men will dress this way when there's a wedding or a big event. We actually have National Clothes Day in our country. It's a government holiday where you dress up in these clothes. It's a whole day off of work. Businesses are closed just to dress up like this. They really like their clothes there. Our people are not a loved people. Where we are located, we're surrounded by countries that hate our people, that dislike them deeply because of their ethnicity. Uh, they are called, the, the tagline, the, the, what they live by, they're really their phrase. Uh, for, for Americans, it's, you know, give me, give me liberty or give me death. That's, that's the American tagline. That's what we think of. For our people, their phrase that, that they kind of go by is, we have no friends but the mountains. They've been historically hated by the groups that surround them. 
They've been historically butchered by the groups that surround them. They are not loved. They are not liked. And they really feel like they have no friend but the mountains. What our people need is not, not just people that will come and wear their clothes, but they need to know that there is a friend named Jesus Christ who is greater than any mountain. They need to know of the rock of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I, 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 want, I want to give you just division and a passion. Can, can, can you imagine what it would be like to grow up hated by all the countries around you, persecuted by all the countries around you, to grow up in a religion called Islam where God doesn't like you, God doesn't love you, and you're never good enough, and no works that you do are ever going to be enough, and when you die, you're 100%, you're going to purgatory, and maybe you'll get out someday, and that's what you live with every day. And somebody shows up and says, God does love you. So much he sent his son to die for you. That is greater than any difficulty or any challenge or any language that you need to learn or, or, or any weird cultural tick that, that the people have because Lord knows they've got those. There's some weird ticks. There's some things that are difficult about being there, but none of those things matter in light of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, in light of planting churches. That supersedes any difficulty that anybody could ever face. My people, our people need preachers they need missionaries, and they need somebody that would love them in spite of their flaws. Now listen to me. I, I, we've lived there since 2015. Our people are not perfect. They're not. They have flaws. That sometimes you get this idea when you listen to a preacher that, man, he thinks those people don't sin at all. Oh, no, I know that our people sin. They are sinners. There is no doubt of that. I promise you, we have firsthand experience with it. And they need Jesus, and they need somebody that will love them in spite of cultural differences, in spite of language, in spite of the, the difficulty of getting there, all, all of that stuff pales in light of the shed blood of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel matters. My, my people matter. They matter to us. They matter to us because they matter to the Lord. They matter to Him. I, in the United States, so often, we get this idea of Muslim people that's only based on 9-11 just to be honest with, just to be open, just to be re really transparent with you. What everybody thinks of Muslim people in the, I, most people didn't even know what Islam was until 9-11. Then all of a sudden, that's all we know about Muslims. I had a preacher tell me one time, preacher, well, I just don't really know if they can get saved. I had a preacher tell me that. And I, if we could lose our salvation, I, I would have lost my salvation at that moment. I was not very Christ-like in my response. I was upset said, well, brother, I'm really thankful that you're not the Lord, and I'm glad that it's not you that my people are dependent on. It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus. We have got to get beyond what the news media tells us that people are. And we've got to start seeing people through the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to seek and to save the lost. And my people are lost. And my people need churches. My people need missionaries, they need preachers, they need evangelists, they need servants of God that would be willing to come and love them in spite of them, just like Jesus loves us in spite of us. Let me give you some practical things about what it looks like when, when, we, when we reach out and when we try to win people to Christ. So we cannot go door knocking there. You wouldn't do that in, where we, we're located in the Middle East. That, that's, you just don't do that. We don't attract blitzes and I cannot stand on the street corner and preach. You just wouldn't do that. If we walked up to a door, and if I walked up to somebody in the street, handed them a track and said, are you 100% sure that if you die today, you'd go to heaven? 
they are 100% sure that I'm not going to be in that country for very long. You just, you don't do that. Say, well, Brother Matt, then what do you do? Well, the gospel is bigger than methods, folks. God is big enough that the gospel can be preached no matter where you are. It really can. That's one of the amazing things about missions is finding the cultural way that those people process information because we all process information in a different way based on how you're raised, where you grew up, your ethnic background. We process information in different ways. So we had to discover how do our people process information that's new to them. And we realized that my wife and I, in spite of how I speak when I'm behind the pulpit, we're quite introverted. We like to be by ourselves. If God would let me, we'd just, I'd just take my wife, we'd go to a monastery, and I'd read my Bible and be happy for the rest of my life. That sounds like a great life to me, but that's not what God has. We're very introverted. Our people are incredibly extroverted. We like to be alone. They like to be together. God has a great sense of humor. He's like, I'm going to take the introvert and stick him with the extroverts because he needs, to, he needs to stretch forth. He needs to expand his borders. He needs to grow. If you wanted to, in our country, you could be in someone's home seven days a week every single day. Every single day. Now, say, oh, Brother Matt, that's a great blessing. It is. It is. Not if you're an introvert, but it is a great blessing. It's a great blessing. They love to talk. They love to visit. Do you see what I'm building up here, too? We, we have these preconceived notions that every single Muslim out there just hates everybody that's not a Muslim. That's simply not true, folks. That's simply not true. You know what a Muslim is? They are a sinner that needs a Savior. Do you know what a non-Muslim is? A sinner in need of a Savior. You know what you are? You are still a sinner who got a Savior. And that's what my people need. They need to know about that Savior. People, people look at ministry in Islamic areas and say, oh, must be so scary. It must be this, that. Look, you guys don't live that far from San Francisco. It's scary there. I had someone in a church in Los Angeles ask me, is it scary there? I said, it's scary here. I was nervous parking my car. Are you kidding me? In our village where we live, I would leave my car unlocked all the time. I'd leave my passport in there. I'd leave money in there. It drove my wife nuts. But I would leave, and I wouldn't even lock the door. I would never do that in the United States. You see, see, there's a different perspective that's there. We get this idea that all Muslims just hate all people that are non-Muslims. And folks, that is simply not a Bible view of people. Every one of us was an enemy of God before we became a believer. All of us were an enemy of God. All of us. And he loved us in spite of our enmity towards him. Whether we knew we were an enemy of his or not, we were. These people... The people that God's called us to, they're not my enemy. They're my calling. They're our passion, just like we were for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a particular young man that's there. I, just to give you an example, now his family, they're very dear friends of ours. His father does not read, cannot write, and only he speaks English. And this young man is very dissatisfied with his life. He's dissatisfied with Islam. He's upset. He's angry. He's a very angry young man. They began to talk with him about, about things of the Lord and what we would do is we would sit, sit in his home, and he could speak Arabic. So we had an Arabic copy of the Bible and an English copy of the Bible. And we'd sit there on the computer, and we would talk for hours at a time. Now, when his dad would walk in the room, he would hit a couple of buttons, and the Quran would pop up. And then when his father would walk out of the room, he'd hit a couple of buttons, and the Bible would pop back up. That's what, it, that's what ministry looks like there. That, that's what witnessing looks like there. It's not knocking on doors, because folks... It's good to knock on doors, but doors don't get saved. People get saved. It's people. So we look, 
We seek for people that are seeking the Lord. That's, that's what we look for. We're looking for people that are looking for something more. There's a dear friend of ours. He's a taxi driver, tremendous man, a lovely man, a good man. He's very, he's very Muslim, but he loves God. You say, Brother Matt, how can anybody not saved love God? Well, Cornelius did. Didn't Cornelius in the book of Acts, didn't he love God? He didn't even know how, but he just knew that, there, that God was there and he knew he was supposed to do something. He didn't know what to do, but he tried to do the best he could. That's this friend of ours that's a taxi driver, Mr. N. We'll call him Mr. N. When you talk to him, you, you can sense the deep faith that he has. And folks, many Muslim people all over the world have a deep faith. It is simply misplaced. They have the capacity for deep love and passion and a desire to serve God, and it's simply misplaced. They need preachers. They need missionaries. They need somebody to share with them, hey, I see that you love God. Let me teach you about who he is. Brother Matt, is that a challenge? Well, sure. Isn't it a challenge here? Isn't it? My, my, people, my people are worth the challenge, but more than that, my Savior is worth the challenge. Brother Matt, is it difficult sometimes? Is it worth it? Jesus is always worth it. There is no sacrifice that we can make for our Savior that is too great or too onerous or too difficult. There's none. Folks, I'll be honest with you. It's not that big of a sacrifice for us to be where we are. It's really not. We're happy to be there. We want to be there. We desire to be there. It's not a burden for us to be there. We like being there. I would like to be there now. I, I, I'd like to be my house where I, where I see my pomegranate tree right there and, and the grapes that grow over the wall and the little neighbor kids Especially, especially the one little girl when, when they come over and they bring food and, and they're so shy and they, they want to they come in and they want to sit on the couch and just stare at the weird Americans and just watch what they do because it's so different. I miss that. I really do. I miss that. I miss the neighbors constantly trying to stare in our windows because they're curious about what we do. I, I just miss the people. Oh, I really do. I, I need to get back to this. I really miss our people today. You, you got to forgive me. I really miss them today. There are some practical things that, that do go into planning churches. There are some practical things. When we got there, we didn't know anyone in our country. We knew nobody. We, we just showed up. Now, I don't think that that's always the best way to do things. But in our country, there wasn't there were not a whole lot of resources. So, so we just showed up. And, and the Lord really directed our paths. We came into contact with some believers. And through... Uh, through some years that went by, they decided they wanted a church. They, they wanted to be a church. We began meeting together in various homes, which, by the way, is completely biblical. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And they decided that they, they, they wanted a church. Now, now, you've got to understand, some of these believers, when we get saved, when we get saved, our lives do change. They really do. Our hearts change. When a Muslim person where we live gets saved, everything changes. They lose their family, they can lose their homes, they can lose their jobs, they can lose their lives. There's a brother, a dear brother, oh, just a wonderful man, wonderful man. Every time I saw him, every time I saw him, every single time, just give me a kiss on the cheek, which I should have said, that's normal, by the way. That's a regular normal thing. In the Middle East, uh, they, they will lay one on you. It's what it is. It is quite normal. The hard, that's easy to get used to. The hard thing to get used to is men hold hands in the Middle East. I don't mean they hold like this. 
they link fingers. It, it, it's, it's one of the most awkward experiences you can ever have. It really is. Uh, if, I, if I was going to be a mean person today, I'd have Brother Justin come up here and demonstrate for you. But because of social distancing, we're not going to do that. So he's off the hook. He's off the hook. I remember the first time that we went in 2013, we went over to the Middle East. And uh, my wife, my partner, my companion, my love, my heart, as they would say, say in our language, my heart, we were with some folks and it was July. And in the Middle East, July is very hot. It's just really hot. You're just sweating. It's nasty. You just sweat from everywhere. And I'm walking along. And all of a sudden, and my wife's behind me, all of a sudden I felt someone take my hand. And I knew it was not my wife. My wife does not have hairy hands. She does not. And then I felt fingers link with mine. And I thought, oh, Lord in heaven, what am I going to do now? This man does not know you, and I don't want to turn him away from the gospel, but I really don't want to hold his hand, Lord. And then all of a sudden from behind me, my heart, my life, my love, behind me, I heard click, 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 click. And I turned around, there's my wife with her camera right here, just grinning and wiggling her eyebrows, taking pictures. No help, no help at all. Just wiggling those eyebrows, taking pictures. So that's a normal thing in the Middle East. There, I, I have sat down uh, after church at a meal, and as the Bible says, John, John laid on, I have had a man lay his head right here. Say, Brother Matt, what are the most challenging things about ministry in the Middle East? Right here. Right here. When the man lays his head there, puts his hand right there. That's not my culture, folks. That's not our culture. We don't really, that's, my wife's hand goes there. My hand goes there. Yours does not go there. Doesn't belong there. Uh, we'll, we'll, be, we'll, be, we'll be in church. I'll be standing there talking with one of the men from the village and very emphatic, and, and they get very close. They speak very close. There's, there's no bubble where we, there's no bubble. There's no social distancing to, does not exist in that culture. And they're right there, and they'll be speaking emphatically, and they'll reach out and just take your hand as they're speaking. And you just, just got to get used to it. The, but this, this brother, dear brother, he would kiss cheeks. Now, now, one thing I did learn about the cheek kissing, don't move. Don't move. This is real practical time right now. Don't move. Be very still. If you move, it's going to be an illustration you don't want to put in the prayer letter. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So I learned to be very still. And, and praise the Lord, I have only kissed air for the last five years. I've managed not to actually put my lips on another man's cheek. So things that the Lord uh, blesses us with in, in the Middle East. There's this really sweet, sweet brother, and he, he'd kiss me. Now, now you, you get to where, with that kiss on the cheek, it becomes very special to you. It really does. I know we laugh and things like that, but... When, when you suffered for the cause of Christ and that brother comes in and he greets you with that kiss because that man has suffered the way I have never suffered. And he greets me as an equal in Christ. And we are not equals. I've never suffered for Christ like that man has suffered. I've not suffered the loss that he suffered and yet he comes in to sit under me and learn. That's humbling. It's very humbling to preach to people who have lost everything because I've lost nothing for Christ. I gained everything when I gained Jesus Christ. We gave him a home in heaven, gained a family, and, and this man is, is looking at me to teach him. That's humbling, Christian. That's humbling. It will make you love your people. It will make you love them. This man, I was talking to, to Brother Justin about him. Oh, he's just a lovely man. His wife is not saved. None of his family is saved. Only he is. 
when he was a younger man, about seven years before he came to Christ, he expressed interest. He told his, you see, a lot of, especially in villages, a lot of Muslim imams will teach that when we take communion, we actually, this will sound funny to you, but they teach this. They teach that we murder babies and eat their flesh and drink their blood. I know that sounds weird, but consider it for a moment. Haven't you thought some weird things about Muslims yourself? And aren't we supposed to be a very developed nation? And don't we kind of want to believe bad things about people we think are our enemies? So it's not really that far out, is it? It's not really that hard to imagine that they would think that. And he had met some Christians and he thought, these people don't, there's no way they eat babies. There's no way. So he told his father, I, I want to go see what they, what they believe. His father shot him, tried to kill him. He bears a scar here today. He has a second scar here. From when he converted to Christ, his father tried to kill him again. And he didn't shoot to miss, folks. See, Brother Matt, what about the police? They don't interfere with that. That's family business. What about the government? They don't touch that. That's tribal business. Brother Matt, is it worth it? That man says it is. That man says it's worth it to be a believer. That man never missed a service, by the way. He never missed, ever. He literally bears the scars of Jesus Christ in his body. Brother Matt, is, is it worth it to go to the Middle East? Yes. Can Muslims get saved? Yes. The only thing that prevents missions, the only thing that prevents missions and church planning in the Middle East are people who have no vision. That's it. That's it. That's the only thing that prevents it. I'd, I'd like to tell you about, I'm just, I'm just going to tell you about some Christians and what, the, what this looks like. There's a man there, we'll call him Brother N., He's been saved over 25 years. He lives in a home that someone gave him. So it's a rundown little place. It's just concrete floors. His wife's back is terrible because of birthing so many children and just walking on concrete floors. He's lost. He's lost teeth. He has a government job and they treat him like garbage because he's not the right political party and because they know he's a Christian. He has a testimony in the community. And folks, he's not a perfect man. This, this man did some things that they greatly hurt my wife and I. He really did. He hurt us deeply. What do you think about that, Brother Matt? I'm so thankful that God has given me the opportunity to meet some of the heroes of my faith. And they're not people that you'll ever get to meet. I'm telling you, Christian, when we get to heaven, there are going to be some heroes of the faith in countries that we never heard of, people that we never met, who were not the great theologians, who were not the great preachers, who didn't write books, who weren't in Bible colleges, but they stood for the gospel. They suffered. And through missions, we get to meet those people. We get to see those people come to faith. And I'm not supposed to yell. I'm not supposed to be yelling. In our area, it's what they call a low-yield field. There, there are, right, as of right now, there are no other independent Baptists there. There are no other independent Baptists. None. So what I mean by that is right now, then, there are no church planting efforts that would, that would match biblically. There's some folks there. What I said last night about building the kingdom, really, that is the mindset of most people that are there for any kind of evangelistic work. And what I mean by building the kingdom is, is what most folks mean by that is, well, we, we just live out a good faith in front of people, and, and God will draw others to us, and they'll get saved, and, and that's God building his church. And that's not, that's not a biblical model. That's not a biblical understanding of what building a local church looks like. A local church is visible. It's physical. 
It's something you can see and it's a place you can go and it's people that you can be with. That is a local church. It's visible. I am thankful for every soul that is saved, but we are called. God will build his kingdom. We are supposed to plant local churches. That's what God likes. That pleases God. So when we, we gathered this group of believers together and they said, Pastor Matt, we want to have a church. I said, now guys, what you've been taught that church is is not what church is and it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be difficult. There's gonna be some things that are gonna be strange to you. And they said, that's okay, Pastor Matt, we'll take it. And I've never had people take doctrine so well. I could preach doctrine to those people and they would eat it up. They loved it. Now, culturally, you've got to understand this. One of the hardest messages I ever preached there was that men should not beat their wives and they should have jobs. See, but Brother Matt, they like doctrine. I know, because they've never heard it. But all their life, they grew up watching their dad beat their mother and then the wife beat. Now, they don't spank their kids, but they will hit them. They will slap them. That's not a biblical model. You say here, it's a lot easier to preach on the Christian life, but when you preach doctrine, people just, they tune out. They, they turn it off. That's boring to them. So when culturally we're there in the Middle East, doctrine is important, but learning to live a Christian life is one of the most important things that we can teach our people. Teaching them that you shouldn't be smoking, shouldn't be drinking. In fact, where we had our church building was right across the house from a house of ill repute. That's not illegal where we are. It's not illegal. You can, you can do that. That made it into some sermons, I promise you that. We don't have any filters on our internet, so you can imagine in a repressed society what that generates. My, my people, saved and unsaved, are in desperate need of the gospel because their lives are messed up. They're messed up. They're messed up as a soup sandwich. They need the gospel. He said, let's, let's, we, we want a church. Pastor Matt, I need to stop. We've got about 30 seconds left. I need to stop. Let me tell you what a service looks like for us in the Middle East, and then I'm going to stop. And I, and, I, and I hope when I'm done, you've got a vision and a passion and that you can see that our people are just people. They're just people. They're just souls that need Jesus Christ. They're not beards and head coverings and Islam. They're souls that need Jesus Christ. They're people. You know what we do when, when we come in to have a service? We sing, just like you sing. We preach, just like you preach. We teach, just like you teach. Say, Brother Matt, what's the difference? We do it in this language, and you do it in that language, same Jesus. And he doesn't need any translation. He knows exactly what's happening. Is it a challenge? Yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes it can be a challenge. Sometimes Kurdish people, sometimes our folks can be a challenge. You know what, Christian? Sometimes we're a challenge for the Lord, aren't we? Did he ever quit on us? Did he quit missions because it was a challenge? Did he decide to step off the cross because it was hard? Did he decide, you know, I'm done with this. These people aren't worth this. He never did that. It says he set his face like a flint. He finished his course. He finished his course. Young person, let me challenge you today. My people need you. I'm not enough for my people. My people need you. I need you. And the Lord is going to, the Lord is calling. The Lord is calling. He's looking for some young person that's willing to say that the calling of God and that the sacrifice of the Lord is nothing, nothing to pay when compared with the challenges ahead. My people need you. And the Lord could use you. He could use you in the Middle East, Christian. Young person, God could use you. 
And hey, we'll take you.